Right. So what happens on Broadway? So obviously outdoor shows and things like that sound interesting, but they're not high production shows, and that's a very different environment than an indoor theater, of course. So we have to start with some kind of spacing, and then we can add a few seats, and then we can add a few seats. And the theater business is also struggling with this. You know, if you have a 400-seat theater, and now your volume goes down to 200 seats or 180 seats because of spacing, and maybe you do clusters of two with two seats, a cluster of four with two seats, a cluster of six based upon the parties and stuff, that the whole economic model changes. I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down! <laughs> well, my 31st day uh, uh, locked in my house in quarantine. And I got to tell you, I'm finding that uh, I'm adjusting pretty well. I mean, I'm sure nobody loves this, of course. None of us love it. But I'm finding that the 31st day is a little less stressful than the first day. The first day, the world is ending. That first week or so is really sort of rough. Uh, uh, and not that I'm saying there's a lot happening, because there's not. You know, I'd like to think that we would be making more progress with regard to testing, vaccines, uh, uh, you know, hospital service. At least it seems the ventilator issue is over. But, but you know, it, it does seem to be getting a little easier if we think about it. We are starting to adapt a little bit. And I guess that's human nature. You know, we start to adapt. I think of that poor guy in prison who lives in that little cell every day. And uh, what about the guy in a foreign prison who gets bread and water to eat? And after a while, that bread looks pretty good, doesn't it? So I think that we adjust as people, and, and hope, hopefully you're adjusting a little more, and you're able to get the food and the supplies and everything that you need so that we can get through this together. I did a lot of news shows this week, and uh, a lot of things to talk about. And I'll tell you what's interesting about it when I do all the news shows and talk with everyone who's... You know, it seems that we are getting successful at, at blunting the curve. There's no question about it. What worries me is the only reason why we've been successful at blunting the curve is because we're staying home. And we are doing social distancing. It's not because of medicine. It's not because of vaccines. It's not because of, of anything other than us staying apart. And if that's the formula for beating this virus, it's going to conflict pretty quickly. And because uh, we're not going to stay apart forever. And we're starting to see uh, even friends like Dr. Phil and, and many, many newscasters and people on both sides of the political spectrum are starting to say that, you know, we can't stay in lockdown much longer, that it is starting to infringe upon rights. And there's a number of economists and doctors that I've spoken with. And those of you that know me well know I do sit on a board of a hospital is, is that there is concern that there could be a greater medical damage or deaths even in society, due to the separation and lack of supplies and just loneliness, which Dr. Phil and I talked about uh, when he was on this podcast a couple of, uh, a few days ago. If you haven't listened to the Dr. Phil podcast, please do, because, boy, did he put some great and valuable information out there. You know, loneliness is, is a powerful thing that takes a physiological effect on us, so we can't be lonely even though we're locked up. We've got to reach out to people, of course. You know, fear has a physiological effect. And what I learned from Dr. Phil, <coughs> and what I learned from Dr. Phil was th that fear in our bodies 
you know, increases adrenaline, lowers white blood cell count sometimes, and has a physiological effect on us. But fear in our bodies was really developed for a few seconds, a few minutes, right? If somebody's attacking us, I'm falling off a cliff or whatever the heck it could be. But fear in our bodies physiologically is not really set up to last for weeks. So, you know, we've made it this far. We can make it farther. And that's the way we need to look at it. My view is I've made it a month. Well, the second month is probably going to be easier than the first, assuming I can get everything that I need. So that's our positive spin on this, I think, is that we do seem to be getting it under control. We are distancing. We're going to figure out how to open our restaurants. There are task force all over the country working on it in a whole bunch of states. You know, I personally applaud uh, uh, Governor Cuomo. You know, I think that the way he's worked with other states, the way he's worked with the president, I think that, that he has crossed party lines. I think he's done a very good job. Hats off to, to Governor Sisolak from my home state of Nevada, who has not gotten the resources that a lot of other states have. I get it. We're a smaller state. But the fact of the matter is he's done an excellent job handling it. And there's a lot of governors across the country that hats off. They've done a great job dealing with a very, very difficult situation. And you know what? Mistakes are made at times like this. And I plead to us all, let's stop analyzing the mistakes that were made and let's stay focused on getting through the next month. I think that's what's really important. And if we look back at what happened with this organization or what a president did or what a senator said, then we just get ourselves angry. And looking back doesn't solve this looking forward. So we need our medical science to get in a row. We need to stay tight as a group. We need to respect social distancing, respect each other. And I see a next phase to this. See, I don't think we run to bars next week. But I think in a couple of weeks, if I stay home and I'm quarantined, and my car is in my garage for weeks, so it's quarantined as well, why can't I get my quarantined self in my quarantine car, drive to my quarantined friend's house, and have dinner with my quarantined friends? So I think the next level of social interaction is going to be in homes. I think we're going to start meeting in homes, and then I think we'll start moving into restaurant environments, and I've talked about that a lot, and I don't want to reiterate that today, but there is going to be spacing in restaurants. Capacity is going to go down. Delivery is going to become more and more important. You're going to see more professional packaging and safety seals and things like that being developed. We're going to see that curbside pickup is going to get much more organized with maybe podiums outside and such. I think we're going to see cities loosening up some rules. The good news is we're coming to summer. The weather's beautiful. I think a lot of cities can open up some sidewalk dining rules, maybe even create a mall street or two in each city where there's a cluster of restaurants. And if they take a block and make it a pedestrian block, heck, they might be able to save 12 restaurants in just that one move. So if we take a look at areas in our cities where there's clusters of restaurants and retail operations, then maybe creating a mall street, maybe licensing more or approving more outdoor seating will help. But these are the kind of steps that we'll see these next few weeks. And I was not the most optimistic person a month ago, but I'm telling you, I'm getting more optimistic now. And here's what I think. I think that this will be dealt with medically at some point. It's not next week, probably not two weeks, probably not three, probably not four. But at some point, we are going to deal with this medically. At some point, we're going to go out. And here's what I know. If we look at 9-11, even the Spanish flu, World War II, other emergencies and disasters, we are social beings. So we are going to want to get back together again. I mean, Corey, don't you miss your friends? Of course we do. So, so I miss my friends. I miss the places that I go to. I want my life to go back to normal so much that I'm going to make sure it does. And I think we all sort of feel that way now. 
I think we all feel that, boy, I want to go back to that restaurant so much. I want to go back to my bar so much. I want to see my friends so much that as long as we put some standards in place, as long as that restaurant is clean and I know it, I can't wait to go back. And as long as my friend's house is clean and I know it, I can't wait to go back. And I bet you can't wait to go back either. And that spirit, our desire to go back is what's going to drive our recovery. I believe that. So if restaurants build our trust, we know they're clean, we know they're well-operated, we know they're safe, we'll go back, won't we? And if hair salons build our trust because they're clean, they're well-operated, and they're safe, we'll go back, won't we? And if retailers and food stores put forth an image of trust and we know that we're safe when we go there, we will go back. So the burden is upon the businesses to create the trust because, boy, I'm guessing we all want to go back bad, don't we? So this is an interesting time. When businesses start to open again, we are going to be so inclined to support them. And that's a big difference. You see, if I owned a business that was in trouble, I would never tell you that. But now you know our restaurants are in trouble. We don't want to lose them, do we? So we're going to support them. We don't want to lose those retailers, so we're going to support them. We also don't want to lose Broadway. We don't want to lose some of the most important things that happen in places like New York, the Sunset Strip or Hollywood Boulevard in Los Angeles, areas in Phoenix, areas in Miami, Ocean Boulevard. So the important thing is that we protect the economic centers of these cities. In New York City, which is my hometown, Broadway is critical to New York. It drives tourism. It sells thousands and thousands of tickets, does millions and millions of dollars a year in revenue. And Broadway worries me as much as anything in America, live performances. Because are we going to pack into a theater for live performances so quickly? You know, restaurants can spread tables a lot easier than theaters can spread seats. So it becomes a real challenging issue. And I wanted to talk to somebody who was a big star. I wanted to talk to somebody who was in the film business, in the television business, and whose heart really lived on Broadway. So I reached out to a friend, Kristen Chenoweth, and Kristen, of course, uh, those of you who don't know, if you've lived under a rock, she grew up in Oklahoma City, was adopted when she was five years old, went to drama college, got a master's in it, and won a Tony Award in 1999 for her performance as Sally Brown in You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown on Broadway. Then she received you know, a wild <clears throat> acclaim in Wicked and a Tony nomination. Then after she really mastered or challenged or, or conquered Broadway, I should say, she moved to television. And you've probably seen her in the West Wing or, or Pushing Daisies or her own sitcom, Kristen, in 2001. Then, of course, she went into films. She did The Pink Panther. She did RV and did voice work for Rio 2. So, so Kristen has been on Broadway in a film business, in a television business, and she has albums. Her, her last album just came out a few months ago. So she has an incredible knowledge of Broadway and entertainment, and it was important that we all hear her view What's going to happen to Broadway? What's going on with all of these crews? And here's what many of you don't understand about the business that I'm in. I travel with a crew of about 57 people. I'm on this side of the lights. They're all on the other side of the lights. I travel with these people 30 to 40 weeks a year. I work with them for 12, 14 hours every day. These crews are family whether it's a Broadway show and everybody is working together in tandem with each other, they're communicating so well with each other, it has to be so well synced that these crews are tight. 
they're tight. It's almost like the tightness of an army barrack or the tightness that people get in military or other group things. So when we see these shows close, what's wonderful about Kristen is she's not only continuing to pay her employees, but we feel, I feel terrible for these crews. I miss them. I miss my family. I miss all of them. I'm worried about them. I'm worried about us all getting to work quickly. And Kristen has such powerful opinions and is an advocate for Broadway, and so am I. So let's find out what's going in the live entertainment business. Let's find out what's going on on Broadway. Let's find out what the buzz is, and let's see what those industries are doing. And we'll do that with Kristen Chenoweth when I come back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Kristen, hello. Welcome. It's, it's a pleasure to have you. Hi, John. What a pleasure. I'm so happy to meet you. Me too. I've, I've been such a fan of your work for so long. Thank you, sir. And, and, and uh, to, you know, to look in your eyes, albeit digitally. I uh, know. Uh, here we are. Here we are, you know, in, in, in unbelievable times. Uh, uh, in our lives, and and I want to. We have so many important things to talk about together, but yeah. but I want to just start for any of my audience that's under that lives under a rock, <laughs> which is about the only way I would know you. You know, you grew up in Oklahoma City yeah. with two parents who who were chemical engineers, which is fascinating. Yeah. Did any of them sing and dance, or or? Uh... No, and they shouldn't ever. <laughs> <laughs> so no. They left that to you. They left it to me, and actually, I was an um, adopted child, and so they were just so, you know, gracious and supportive of what my passion was. I think one of the things that, you know, and I know we're going to get to it, but one of the things I so appreciate about, appreciate about your show is people finding or going back to what their passion is, and I was lucky that I had parents that said, we want you to do your passion, you know? Yeah. You know, what's remarkable about your career to me is, is obviously you started on Broadway, which is a love for me. I grew up on Long Island. So throughout my whole childhood, we went to at least a show a month, sometimes two. So, you know, I came up watching Music Man and, and Guys and Dolls and, and seeing those productions as I was a kid. So Broadway is incredibly dear to me. And, and I remember my parents lived in, in Manhattan and and Lou Jacoby lived next door to us, who was in the Odd Couple at the time. And, and so I've always had a great connection and, and adoration for the theater. And, you know, you, you accomplished so much in the theater, and then you made the jump to television and movies. And, and you, you did it so well. And, and, and you know, uh, uh, obviously, your good man, Charlie Brown, was incredible for you and, and was an unbelievable Broadway performance. And, and, and then you made a jump to television and movies at the same time. So, so I wanted to ask you a question leading up to some of the stuff that we, we, we wanted to talk about today. If you could only do one, which would it be? Oh, no. The, the dreaded if you could only do one. You know, back behind me on my refrigerator, my dad sent me a thing, a little saying. And it says, take up one idea, make that idea your life. Think of it, dream of it. Live on that idea. Let it be a part of your brain, your muscles, and leave every other idea alone. That is the true way to success. I agree with and that. 
I know, and I read that a lot because I have a tendency to, I love to do a lot of different things, John, but as if it's in the arts, you know, I kind of view doing a Broadway play as I would, or musical as I would doing TV or um, a movie. If it's character, um, I, I love delving into character and having the, the craft of finding an art from A to Z for that character. But to be honest with you, what I've been doing the past several, several years um, in between movies and TV and Broadway is concertizing, concertizing all over the world. And that way, it's an interesting beast because it's, I'm not hiding behind a role. I'm picking the music myself. I'm doing the music that speaks to me wholly and I'm being Kristen in front of the, Christy Dawn in front of the audience. Yeah. I love that. I'm a creature of a live audience. So yeah. probably that's my favorite. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I thought that's what you were going to say because, mm -hmm. because you started in live performance and, and that's where your passion came from when you were just a little girl. So, yeah. you know, I, I really expected you to say that in a strange way, but you know, those who would think of TV movies, the big screen, wow, how incredible, but you know, you're working for a crew. There's no audience in the room. Right. And sure, even for me and my show, and I'm unscripted, so I don't know a darn thing before I go in there. So I, I really, I get a 60-second briefing before I go in. They're in debt this much, John. They're ready to kill each other. Their house is on them. And then I go in, so I don't get to script things. I don't get a second chance. So it's a different level, and it's no different than you trying to portray a character. There's a challenge oh, in, yeah. in that arch and, and the way you go about that. Challenge, and you know, I noticed this. Obviously, with your show, no, it's not scripted, but you you do have an audience in a way because you are having to show people how to change their ways in front of their audience, which is their their customers. Yeah. And that's why I think another reason that I'm drawn to, well, I love a good ambiance. I love I love a, I love a business owner and I love to see how people run their business and I'm embarrassed to say that. You know, my boyfriend, we're stuck here in New York and, and during the quarantine. And he said, Bob, rescue. you got to watch John. You're gonna, this is so up your alley. And I never watch TV because I'm always on the road. I'm always doing stuff. So uh, we inhaled it. I mean, I've inhaled it. I've got all my favorites. <laughs> and I learned from you. I learned a lot from you, too, because I have to be a boss. And I don't like to be a boss. It's not my, right. um, it's not my natural uh, habitat, but I have to do it. Um, and some of the ways that you uh, deal with people, you know, my dad, um, and I know this is the second time I've referenced him, but he was a very tough love guy. It was suck it up. This is what you wanted to do. This is what you said you're going to do. But, but he also knew when the right time was to, to give me a hug and love me and say, you can do it and you must go for it. And that's what inspires me about our, your show and about what we do. Um, you know, theater isn't that much different from the restaurant business, believe it or not. Um, you know, we, we're in this, we, we are both in the service industry. We are. You know, it's interesting. I always say that, and you'll like this, Kristen, I always say that restaurants are not in the food business, they're in the reaction business. Oh, you're right. And I wrote a book years ago called Re about reaction management. It was called Raise the Bar. And the premise is that when you get on stage, you're creating a reaction. The yes. performance is the vehicle to the reaction. Right. If you don't create the reaction, the performance doesn't mean anything. That's right. So That's I've it. always felt that, that our product is the reaction. Yes. What we do is the vehicle to that. 
And amen. so, 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 was that an amen? It's an amen and shalom and namaste and all of it. <laughs> that is it, sir, because, you know, I've heard a million beautiful singers. I mean, there's so many great singers out there that I just would find me hearing on the radio, but there's a few that I want to go see because they invoke in me something very special in my heart and spirit when they sing. And they might not always be the best singers, but it doesn't matter because they're special and they care. And that's why with these bar owners, I mean, with these owners and with these people that care about the way they make food or prepare a drink, that they care. And the way that, you know, you have your mixologists on there and that the way that they care, if here's the deal. If I don't care about the character I'm playing or the song I'm singing or the dance I'm dancing or the monologue I'm speaking, then you as the audience aren't going to care. You can appreciate good technique, but you ain't going to care. And I yeah. want to move you. Yeah. I'm, you know, when I go to Bar Rescue, sometimes the owner can be such a jerk that you, you almost don't want to fight for him, you know, uh, or the staff that. So when I go there and, and it's a very astute what you're saying, because when I go there, I don't go there to fight with people. I go there to accomplish something, to fight for someone, not against someone. So if the owner is a real jerk, and sometimes they are, and it's hard to fight for that jerk, then I have to find something else to fight for. Sometimes I fight for the wife I never met or the kids I never met, but I have to come up with something in my head. Who am I fighting for? What am I fighting for here? So sometimes the staff doesn't care. They're not worried. The owner doesn't care. So I think of those kids at home and that inspires me, but I got to fight for something. And, you know, no different than when you're on stage, you're fighting for something, too, for that reaction. Yeah, I want the audience, there's got to be somebody in that audience that's never seen a show, that doesn't know who I am, that doesn't maybe is drugged with their wife or their husband or whatever, or their kids. And I want them to know about me when I when they leave. I want them to at least know who I am. May, I might not be everybody's cup of tea, and that's okay. That's fine. But they're going to leave knowing who I am. Yeah, they sure I, do. On stage, you have a commanding presence. It's very difficult for them not to know who you are <laughs> when they walk out of that theater, for sure. So think about this, and, and you know, I'm sure you and I are going to really relate on this level. You know, we work with wonderful people. A lot of them have headphones on, right? And they're the production people that stand around, whether it's our live performance or our television crews. You know, they're the, the producers, they're, they're the people who we get in our makeup chairs that make us look so good every day. They're the wardrobe people who take care of us. And, you know, I picture all these people and I know you're the same way. And these are like family to us. And, and in my show, you know, we'll do 40, 45 episodes a year. We're on a road together for 40 weeks a year. And that's really family. Unbelievable. And you know that from making films or Broadway in every case. So we are connected and what a lot of people don't realize is employees that work for productions like like we have are freelancers. They don't have long-term jobs with long-term benefits and long-term, they go from gig to gig. So they'll work on one production, they'll get a five-week deal to work on a TV show with you, then they could lose their work for three to four weeks and then they gotta schedule another 10-week gig and then they go here and they go there. So they don't have that stability often that people with full-time jobs have. And, you know, as I sit here with you and, and picture of, you know, of us in front of the lights and all of them back there, my heart breaks for what's going on right now. Oh, same. I'm, I'm heartbroken and 
you know, the thing is, is that when you and I aren't working, they're sure not working. That's right. And Broadway, as you know, especially being a New Yorker, New York runs, I mean, this might sound a little arrogant. I don't mean for it to, but New York is Broadway. Broadway is New York. No um, question. And, and the restaurant business is right there with us. So the, the thing that you and I both love are, are the things that are so at risk. And like, for example, I have 11 people that go out on the road with me when I tour. And as these months go by, because I was in the middle of a tour for my, for my latest record, um, doing that. And those guys that come out on the road with me, take a night off from Broadway to come out with me. Now they've got nothing. So I think each of us, and I'm, I'm sure that you're doing your yours in your way and, and what works for you. But, you know, I had to sit down and think about how I wanted to, how I wanted this to work for me. One of the things that I do is I live beneath my means. I always have. I'm not crying poor, John. I'm just saying I live beneath my means in LA and New York so that for these times right here, also so that I can do passion projects. Um, it's also for times like this. Um, I'm being able to pay my, my people half of what they would normally make until we reschedule. And the, the hard part about it, about all of this is, is that I'm sure you're, you're figuring out ways to make it work in your business, but we don't know what, when we're going to re-entry and we don't know how, what that's going to look like. So even if live performance comes back, let's say Broadway or touring comes back, let's say in September, which could be generous of me, are people going to want to come to are they going to want to come to see the show? Are people going to want to gather in restaurants? I don't know. And it scares me. And so all I can do is pray and keep saving my money, um, keep talking with people like you, doing things for the Actors Fund. I do a lot for the Actors Fund now um, because those are the crew. Those are the people. It's not just about actors. It's the crew. And it's the people that you were talking about, ushers that have no job. And, um, you know, our president keeps saying we're going to come back stronger. And I do believe that I, I am going to be a pot. I'm going, I'm going to choose to be a positive person on this bill. Um, and I'm not going to get political at all. I'm just going to say, I do know that America is a great country. We will come back stronger. I would love to see people, you know, not everybody can do this, but if you bought a Broadway ticket and, and, and it's July and Broadway's not back yet. If you could maybe think of it as a donation. Not everybody can do that. I know that. Lots of families. A great are, suggestion. If you, know? if you love Broadway and you bought the ticket, then you're more inclined to give that donation. It'd be so. great. It'd be great if some people could. But, you know, with our business and, and food is right next door to our theaters, you know, oh, rest, yeah. and that's where we go after the show. So I'm, I don't know what it's going to look like, John, but I'm praying every day um, to God for our country and and that and um, that we will and for our medical care and we will and that's another reason I'm going back to your show for a second. I really appreciate the emphasis that you put on people forgetting not for, for losing their passion and forgetting what's important, and then it shows in their work and it shows in their cleanliness and it shows in the way they again make make their their way and um that's when you know you're burnout which you've talked about on shows and which i can 
sometimes go, Kristen, you're going to go on burnout if you don't slow down a little bit. Or they're just plumb, they can't handle it. And they need, they need somebody to understand. And when you come in and you understand, which is why it's so lovely for me to talk to you, because you understand. Uh, well, thank yeah. you. Thank you. That's really sweet of you. So, so I, these past five weeks, while everybody's been panicked about the pandemic, I've been working on the business models and how we do reopen. So I've been working with uh, some big companies and peers of mine who operate everything from theater companies to, to live performances to nightclubs and concert venues, and we're all linked. We're all linked. Because if people are going to go out to a concert venue, then they have the mentality they'll go out to Broadway too. It's a question. And then we look at the Las Vegas Strip, which is fascinating, because the Las Vegas Strip is closed. And what's remarkable is these doors don't even have locks on them. I mean, they never contemplated closing these buildings. I didn't even, I didn't even think about it. So they're not even lockable. So, so they had to put boards up and, and, and rope off the driveways and there's guards around the buildings. But the entire thing is shut down. And they're talking, and Las Vegas is similar to Broadway, and it's a similar discussion of, okay, do we open in 30 days? Well, there's no point in opening if people aren't going to come. That makes absolutely no sense. So what we have to look at is, you know, what are the social changes and what are the habits? Now, we know that if a Broadway theater opened, let's say, this summer, mm-hmm. that we're not going to have a vaccine by this summer. So, no. so we have to still employ spacing. So you're not going to sit shoulder to shoulder with a stranger, right? You just can't chance that. So what do we do? Sell two seats, skip two, sell two, skip two. How do we stage the the entrance to the theater and the exit to the theater? Now, if the production is going to go on, then we have to figure out how to go on with some level of spacing. So, So if we reduce capacity, which is very likely in the short term, and restaurants will do the same, Kristen, they have to spread tables. Right, sure. so they're going to reduce capacity. Even supermarkets are only going to let so many people in at a time, right? And one way aisles. So we all lose capacity within our four walls for a while. Right. So what happens on Broadway? So obviously, outdoor shows and things like that sound interesting, but they're not high production shows, and that's a very different environment than an indoor theater, of course. So we have to start with some kind of spacing. And then we can add a few seats and then we can add a few seats. And the theater business is also struggling with this. You know, if you have a 400 seat theater and now your volume goes down to 200 seats or 180 seats because of spacing. And maybe you do clusters of two with two seats, a cluster of four with two seats, a cluster of six based upon the parties and stuff that the whole economic model changes. I'm selling 30, 40 percent less tickets. You with me? Because I'm selling less seats. I'm with you, and then it goes. It begs the question of: the, Will the performers, uh, would someone like me, take a pay cut? Would yes. someone? I, I'm going to tell you something, John, and you know my agents are going to sh- shiver when they hear this. But for a while, because I love what I do and I want to bring joy, I will do that. I will definitely consider doing that. I'm paying my guys right now what I can to get them through. Also, I don't know, John, it's something I've been thinking about a lot. I've been doing gloves on, you know, we have meet and greets after every concert. Yep. I do a meet, right? You get a cold every time. Right. So I wear gloves. I wear a scarf. I already look like a, you know, crazy person. I wear on the planes. I, I've, I've been doing the Corona dance before Corona was even a <laughs> But my question is, I don't think I'll be doing meet and greets for a while. I wonder, though, like every doorknob I touch, because I've always been aware, because I can't get sick. 
I wonder, you know, with restaurants and Broadway, t passing tickets, checks, credit cards, and door handles. How is that going to? I'll tell you how. It all happens through your phone. They're even working in Las Vegas right now that you can sit down in front of a slot machine and just play it on your phone so you don't touch the machine at all. So what will happen is I'll get a digital ticket, right? It'll appear on my phone. The sporting events are this way now. It appears on your phone. On the way in, they just scan your screen, right? Your seat number pops up. They tell you what seat to go to. And so all of that becomes contactless. You know, the challenge becomes when, when the bars open and, and during intermission, but that could be done through a phone app as well. You could almost pre-order it through a phone app and just say, you know, I'm number 574, great, John, here's your scotch and soda, here's your, your soft drink, blah, blah, blah. So we have some technologies in place to make that stuff happen, and that's exciting, actually. But that is exciting. What, it is. The concern, though, is we can still only get so many people in the building. So I think, you know, and I feel the same way, by the way. I would take the same pay cut to continue doing what we're doing because it keeps the crews working and it keeps everybody working. And it, it's worth it to us. And this is what we do. So, right. so, so, you know, and we're blessed to be able to do this. So, so I'm with you on those things. And I think a lot of our peers would feel the same way. You know, if we go back, let's all make these sacrifices to go back. I also think that something is going to happen from the government. And let me talk in the restaurant business for a moment. When a restaurant reopens, all the walk-in refrigerators are empty. Everything's empty. It's all been spoiled. So they have to buy a whole new inventory. They got to change menus. They got to print their menus. They got to train their staff. They got to go through a whole thing. Just like a Broadway show has to pull the team back together again. You got to rehearse a little bit, right? You might lose a couple of musicians. You got to bring some new people in. You know, you got to build a new team. Blah, blah. It costs money before you take in the first dollar. Before, So there's a plan now, and this is really the reset phase of the government plan, and I think this is cool, that they're going to provide compensation for the restarts. So let's say for a moment, and we're hoping as, as working with the National Restaurant Association and, and, and talking with people who are deeply involved in these process, there's going to be some relationship to right now we got some payroll uh, um, uh, stimulus, right, okay. relief. So a restaurant operator, if you're a restaurant operator, you show them what your payroll was for two weeks of any period over last year. They average it to a weekly number, and they give you eight weeks' worth. So that's happening now. So restaurants, if you have under 500 employees, and any business now gets their eight weeks of payroll. Now, I have friends already got it. I mean, they approved it Friday night. The money's already been wired in the banks. Hats off to the government and all the banks and how they made it happen. So now these no. businesses have eight weeks' worth of payroll. Now, if they use that money just for payroll, rent, or utilities... At the end of this, it's forgiven. It's free money. It's not a loan. If they use the money for themselves and not those three things, then it becomes a loan payable in two years at only 1%. So that's happening, but that only takes us through eight weeks. So the theater companies, if they have under 500 people, should have filed for this. And the production companies should have filed for this. So the employees, but that only gives us that eight-week window. Now, what happens after eight weeks? Well, let's assume we're open after the eight weeks. Let's be optimistic like you and I are. And let's assume we open in the eight weeks. Then the government has to give us a ramp-up period of time. 
So there's discussion about ramping up, maybe 50% of payroll for a while, then 40, then 30, because it's not going to happen overnight. And I'm with you, we're going to come back, but it could take a while because I don't think we really come back till we have a vaccine. Then I think I, all hell breaks I, loose. What do they <laughs> 18 months on that, right? Uh, a year, they're saying aggressively. I'm on a board of, of a, a medical institution, and, you know, we feel aggressively a year. But the most important thing is testing. If people test fine, then they can go back out. And, you know, we'll still have to manage separation. But my point is this. If you think about the government relief and the stimulus, and there's something else that's fascinating. Broadway's been doing well. We've had a great few years. Don't you agree? It's been a restaurant wow. business. It's the best in the golden age. Yes. So, so we, we were in a great place. So the great thing about us now is the consumer, our fans, the people who buy these tickets, they know we're in trouble. We're open about it. We talk about it. The restaurant business, we're in trouble. The theater business, we're in trouble. So the consumer knows it, and we're Americans. We want to support each other in this. So I think there's a big difference between just the failed theater or slump in the industry because the consumer now knows we need their support. This is different. It's really important that you buy tickets and you come back to Broadway when it's time, but it's really important that you do that because if you're a New Yorker, you have to fight to keep Broadway vibrant. Oh, and all the new shows that I think about during this time, John, <sighs> get to open. Yes. And will not get to open. Unbelievable. The weeks of work and the excitement and, and it's, it's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. I mean, I mean, I have a theater in Oklahoma, John, that um, is where all the tours come through. And um, it's obviously shut down. I also have a Broadway boot camp I do every year for the week of the Tonys, um, which was uh, filmed going to be, it was going to be an exciting year for our sixth year this year. Uh -huh. But what I keep telling everybody is if we do this right, and we can do, I don't mean to say like, if we do what we're told, but if we do this right, the universe will correct itself. We, we can re, re I, I can't get that word, re-entry, yep. re re in a good, positive way. And I do think that, you know, somebody was saying last night, the Broadway producers were talking about like sections of houses or families coming together and then making it like a family night and then doing, I love that. And I don't know one of my friends, I mean, I really don't know very many Broadway people that wouldn't go and do their show for, I mean, I know Patty Lapone company was just getting ready to open. She was saying that they would all be willing to take pay cuts when it came time to come back. But we're not, we're, we're hearing like September Labor Day. Yeah. But I you know that what? That makes sense. And that might be a tad optimistic though. I say, I know, I, I know. And, I'm trying so hard, just like you are, to do the right thing, do the smart thing, help be helpful. But it's so weird in times like this, John. In 9-11, I was in New York, and I was able to go and help and do and go to church and be with people and go to temple and see my friends and hug. And now the exact opposite is being asked of me. Just so when we need it, just when we need each other, we're separated from each I other. Like yeah. food and theater is where we gather. Yeah, what city are you in now? What's, what are you in? What city are you in now? I I was in I was I'm in New York in my apartment and I was on route to Philly to sing at the Kimmel Center and I had just left North Carolina. I had done meet and greets. Um, truth is, John, in January I was really sick. 
with a lot of the symptoms that we're talking about. I can't say that I had the corona, but I can say that I had what everybody's talking about. And I just, it took me forever to get well, forever. Oh. It was a lot. So, so as soon as it's available, you got to take that antibody test and then you'll know. I'm going to take that test. Yeah. Well, in a strange way, if you had it, it's behind you. You know, there's a silver lining in that, I guess, even though you were probably sick as a dog, but it's still a silver lining. Oh, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it because I am so, it's so hard for me to walk out. I know we still have to social distance and I will, but to walk outside New York on, on my street and to see an elderly person with their mask going to the grocery store, I'm so used to, I'm not some perfect angel, but I'm so used to like, can I help you with that? Like, that's just what I do. And I can't. And that's the heart. That's the heart heartbreaking for me. I can't yeah. help people. I'm a hugger myself. You know, Same. those days are over. Yeah, you know, those days are over. Are we just gonna do the elbow bumps now? Is that? Yeah, that? I guess for a while. You know, I think handshakes and hugs are just something that you know, other than family, that we're just. These are the little changes in our society that's going to happen. Is this spacing and this distancing until we until we get past this? But you know, you think about nine eleven. And we have TSA and travel restrictions and, you know, all of these things that impact our lives all the time. But yet it's, it's okay. You know, we've adjusted to it. And, you know, and I think this is going to be very much the same. I do. You know, and I think that, that things like live performance, you know, what I call LBE, I'm probably the only person who used this term, location-based entertainment. Yes. Which is everything from a bowling center to a Broadway theater. I'm sorry to clump it together. But, you yes. know, places of public congregation where we all go to be entertained together. Right now, that's just not on people's minds. We're focused on the necessities. And travel is going to become more necessity-based than luxury-based. But here's what's interesting. And if you look at the Broadway, and I don't know the numbers on Broadway about what percentage of tourists versus locals, but a city like Las Vegas has a real problem because almost all of our revenue comes from tourism. So yeah. if people aren't getting on airplanes, they're not coming here. We so, have a we have the same problem on Broadway. It's about half, though. I about half. Yep. So, so you have to get New Yorkers to really step up, step when this. And this is all. And we've seen those programs in New York City before, right? Yes. Maybe there's locals discounts. You know, here's another idea you'll love. Why not work with a restaurant and do dinner show combo packages? I think, and, John, and, I think that's a great idea. And and f so we can feed the restaurants in the theater district as well as our tickets. We can provide a little value. You guys provide 10% off. We provide 10%. Do a little package and, you know, I get a, a dinner show package. I and, think that is, again, I just got goosebumps. First of all, especially in the tri-state area, I have friends in New Jersey that are like, I can't go to dinner and a show. I can't afford it with my kids. Right. But they might be able to when we re-entry. They might be then able to do it. Wouldn't that be great? And, and there can be different levels. There could be a casual dining package. There could be a fine dining package. And, you know, I hope somebody from the industry is listening. Or give somebody a call. But these are the kind of things they need to work on. You know, and work with the hotel concierges when the hotels open up again to put these packages together so the restaurant industry can help support theater. And theater can help support the restaurant industry. And I think, Kristen, I think these are the ways that we get through this together. And I think we're in a different place as a country and as people. You know, we really want to support each other now. And we really want to get behind each other. And we don't want the restaurant industry to go away. And we don't want Broadway to go away. So I think that we're going to see that the consumer is going to step up. I believe that. From your lips to God's ears, and I actually think that you're right. And also, let's not forget that the service that we provide 
people will also need. Their hearts will need healing. We will need to be together as much as we can. And um, we're going to need that lift, the uplift. Yeah. Are you doing stuff on social media to keep out there Um, and to try to? First of all, John, social media, all I do is social media because I'm an artist. So I feel like yabba-dabba-doo around my apartment. (laughs) I think I ran around the apartment with a lampshade on my head the other night. I was like, this has got to stop. But I I am doing... um, for the actors fund every Saturday night, I do, uh, you know, when we go to Broadway shows on Saturday night dinner and a show, we call it snob Saturday night on Broadway. I'm doing snib Saturday night in bathroom and it's, um, online <laughs> and people can go and donate. It's just an hour show and I have special guests and it's, it's, we've raised, I think over 150, 60,000. And then Rosie did a, one that raised over a million and wow. the actors fund is going to be a big, important because again we're talking about our crews and yeah do you know that website um actorsfund.org actorsfund.org and i'll make sure we post it on our social pages so everybody can go there it's obviously guys supporting this is very very important when you think about theater and live performances and its place in the united kingdom and then america and the formation of our country and how important this is as part of our culture and the way we express our history, ourselves, our beliefs, our values, our creativity, our innovation, it all comes out of this. And it's too important not to go away. So, so I am with you and, and I will be one of the first person to buy those tickets uh, when they come available for sure. So, so uh, um, where can we find you on social media? Because I want people to watch you run around with a lampshade on your head. <laughs> yeah, it's really entertaining. I joined a thing called TikTok, which is really doing really well. Yeah. All you do is download the TikTok app and look me up. That's actually doing really well. I've been walking around singing high notes with my 409. Ooh. I don't know. Um, I have a, also a bedazzled face mask. That's that perfect. Has, <laughs> yes. My dog, Thunder, um, Thunder, a name after the NBA basketball team is been providing lots of entertainment and also the tiger king netflix um i don't know if you've heard about it john but if, i've watched um, it mesmerizing okay just so you know tomorrow i have made a video as carol baskin oh my I'm gosh song, and it's called little pieces and you're welcome oh so my gosh i can't wait <laughs> that's what i've been doing I can't wait. You know what's interesting, and maybe this is something you could do with some friends. A couple weeks ago on TV, they did, uh, Fox actually did it, and they did a, a live sort of concert. And they had eight or ten screens going, and you know it was really well produced. All the imagery was great, so they got the right cameras in people's houses and stuff. But what was remarkable to me, and Kimmel and stuff have done it on the late night shows too, is five musicians are playing in five different cities, and the singer is in another city, and it's working. And it sounds good, and it's mixed. And, and, and so why couldn't there be a theatrical reading? Why couldn't a bunch of people come together, do a split screen, almost in the days of old radio, where scripts were read? Remember Garrison Keillor, who kind of brought that back? Um, yes, I think that I think we'll, we'll see an uptick, uptick in that because there's already being talks of it. Um, and, and I will de- definitely participate. I also think, like, for example, I was supposed to do... Uh, a performance July 3rd and 4th outdoors at the Capitol with the Boston Pops for television um, about six songs and I know that there may be some way of doing it virtually with the orchestra and I'm thinking 
all right, it might not be my lot the way I'm used to, but as music changes, as like you said, as, as our world changes, if you either stay, stay behind or you go with it. So um, I guess I better start getting some bigger lights. You know what I think? I think when you do it, I think it's going to be an amazing adrenaline rush. And I think you're going to say when you're done, that was really cool. And, and it becomes a great new expressive medium for you. Yeah. And so I'd love to see, and I didn't think about this till we were talking, I'd love to see some theatrical readings and some great Broadway people get together and maybe do a scene from a show or, you know, do a, do or do some Shakespeare or something. But that would be fun. And, and, you know, no different than you're dressing up as a character. They could dress up at home if they wanted to or not. But it could be a serious theatrical reading and it could be a lot of fun. People, and I've been teaching, just so you know, with Zoom, you know how many people we can get on those now. I've been yeah. teaching actively to my former alma mater, Oklahoma City University. And last week we had over 400 kids on our, on our, you know, listening to me teach and listening to others sing. And I thought, oh my gosh, is this how we're going to learn to? I mean. You want to hear something I scary? That. I did an interview yeah. uh, um, last week on a technology show. And they were asking me about the future and stuff. And when you do an interview, sometimes they, you put the headphones on and you hear the person before you as you're waiting to come on. And they were running a little late, so I was listening to the interview before me. I didn't know who it was, but it was a technology person, and I won't say any names out of respect. And this guy was talking about how excited they are that the schools are closed, and now all the software people are going to create distance learning, and how now they'll be able to monitor children's screen time. And then he talked about how excited he was about distance in universities. And now everything would be at home and the software and blah, blah, blah. And I'm listening to this interview and is, they're positive about this. They're excited about this. And then the interview ended and they went to commercial break and then they started my interview and I couldn't help myself. You know, I was calling about a different topic, but the first line out of my mouth was, you know, I'm listening to that previous segment, and it just shocks me that he could be excited about something that horrifies me. Thank you. <laughs> I feel the same. I mean, also, so social interaction teaches our young people how to deal with each other. Yes, of course. And so they're going to monitor screen time rather than play time? I mean, that makes no sense to me. So I was very disturbed by the whole premise of it. And I understand that computer programmers want to go to work, and I understand that's the industry, and I know they're looking to solve problems. And I get all that, but it's just hard for me to get excited about a technology that, that, that I would rather have our technology focus on getting the kids back to school somehow. <laughs> me too, and a vaccine. Let's put all of our energy, everything towards that. Let those techies pay i mean listen if they want to invent a doorknob that automatically hand sanitizes itself i'm all for it oh, yeah. but please 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 don't take just distance learning to me scares me to death me too me too it takes all of the personal interaction out of everything you and i can talk all day on the phone and look at each other yeah. on this screen but you know when we meet each other it's a very different experience you know we feel each other when we meet each other but you're For wonderful. Sure. You're wonderful. You, you know what, what makes you so wonderful is you're so different than the characters you play. And that, to me, so defines excellence in what you do. You know, so many people that you watch in film or see on theater, you know, almost every character they play is an extension of themselves in some ways. And it's very difficult to step out of yourself and really become that other character. And you are so good at it. So, 
you know, wh- when I talked to you, I wasn't sure because you're so good at the characters that you play that it's not easy to know you personally from those characters. You're and, right. And whenever I play kind of an evil or a bad character, my parents are like, oh, people at church are like, oh, is she like that? I'm like, <laughs> I also want to say something to you, sir. During a time that I am been kind of down and a lot of this can kind of go down a rabbit hole, um, your show, um, I think it's it's certainly that you can tell it's certainly been inspiring to me. Um, and I really, really just send love to you, uh, to where you are. And um, I, I, when I do meet you, I will be, try very hard to just do the elbow bump. It will be hard for me not to give you the biggest bear hug because I think what you're doing is changing lives and you're an angel on this earth. And, you know, we appreciate you. And I'm me. Oh. I'm obsessed. I know I've watched every show. I have all my favorites. Um, this season is unbelievable, but even the, the beginning, you know, the gutter ball, the guy that, you know, the woman that did it. The bowling back. center, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. Can I tell you a little backstory on that one for a second? Oh, yeah, yeah. That was one of the most emotional episodes I, I ever did personally. I and what didn't come out in the episode is he was in Vietnam and he was in a special operations group in Vietnam, seven of them. And the other six died. He was the only survivor. So the, PS, uh, the PTSD that he has, he feels that he's living for the six of them as well. And it, it's affected every part of his life. So that's why I was when I mentioned Vietnam, he said, please, let's not go there. And he and I had many private discussions that I wouldn't put on camera. They were very emotional, and they were too personal to put on camera. So I didn't put that part in the show, but boy, did I love him. And and handing him that check at the end meant the world to me. I cried when you did that. I literally cried, and I thought, he's you, my friend, are changing the world for the better, sir. Uh, I'm trying. You know, there's there's an episode coming up in a couple of weeks uh, with Marshawn Lynch, who's a football player. And it's a remarkable story. He grew up in Oakland, California, and uh, opened up a bar uh, that he grew up in a neighborhood was going to close, named it after a friend of his who got shot when he was a teenager. Uh, Ugly story, very, very rough neighborhood, and and hires ex-cons and family members to give them a second chance. And then he doesn't manage it so well. So... it's, so I walked into the most hostile situation I've ever walked into. Wait till you see it. And I walked out of that building with more love than I've ever had in my life. And this all happens in four days. It just, it's so remarkable. If you, it's amazing. It's, by the way. To watch it is one thing. Imagine living it and looking in their eyes and really knowing that I did make a difference. I can see it in the way he walks, the way he smiles. I can see it in his facial expressions. Sometimes that doesn't come tr- through on television as well. But, but I feel it. You know, and right. the other thing I got to tell you, because uh, this is just fun together. When we hug at the end of the show, our microphones are in our chests. So you don't hear what's said. But the things that are said to me in those hugs are unbelievable. And and that's what inspires me to be so tough next time. Because I know as tough as I am, I'm going to get that hug in the end. I know I'm going to get my hug. So, so holding on to that hug is what allows me to be so tough that entire week. And, you know, you said something interesting before, and then I'll let you go because you're so gracious with your time. You talked about how tough it is to be a boss. Yes. And how that's not what you do so much. And, and But the fact of the matter is by being a boss, you're protecting people. 
you're you're right. making them grow. You know, you're making them achieve more and excellence. So being a leader is a wonderful thing. And you know what? You're more natural at it than you think you are. Thank you, sir. I mean, that's what I was learning watching the show. I was like, I see when you're a boss, they respect you. Like they respect you. And then they respect themselves. And they want to be good for you. And not only that, you can elevate them. You can push them to be better and inspire them to be better. Just like you do that new actress or that new actor. Who, who is on stage and looks at you and, you know, they look up you with those adoring eyes and they want to mimic you and learn everything you can. You're the type and so am I. You want to give them that knowledge. I want to give it to them and I want them to succeed. Yeah. Well, this is an interesting time. We are going to succeed. And I can't wait to see us to actually meet and, and maybe break some bread together soon. But can we please? Absolutely. You can count on it. You can count on And, you know, let's stay in touch. And uh, uh, maybe we can talk again in a few weeks. As Broadway starts to open and things start to change, it would be wonderful to have another conversation together. I would too. And I would really like to, with your permission, just kind of mention to uh, Jimmy Niederlander is one of my good friends. All of the producers are my fr- sure. my friends. They're my bosses too, but I would In love world. to mention that restaurant, um, your idea. I think it's important. I think how we get people back especially here in NYC. Social distancing is impossible. We're on top of each other. That's why nobody's on the street. Yep. But if we can figure out a way to eat and entertain at the same time and social distance, we've got it nailed. And yeah. I would love to talk to you again. We'll definitely set that up. Awesome. Thank you, Kristen. Be safe. Uh, God bless you. It was wonderful. Lots of love. Lots of love. Bye, baby. Well, big thanks to Kristen for, for coming and talking. And, and really, boy, this is this is... Kristen wears her heart in her sleeve. You know, she tells us exactly how she feels. And her and I have something in common. We miss our crews. We miss our work. You know, we're worried about them. I want to look in their faces. I want to know, you know, I've been making Bar Rescue now for almost 10 years. There are people on my crew who have gotten married, who have had children. I've watched their life go on. I mean, there are Bar Rescue babies out there that they met on the set, they got married, and then they had a baby. A Bar Rescue baby. These are the things that happen in these businesses. I miss them. I know Kristen does too. So when this ends, and it will, that's our opportunity to support all these people when we go back to the theater, when we go back to restaurants, back to bars, back to other live performances. And we will. And I look forward to that. Thanks, everybody, for listening this week. I'll talk to you next week. I'll be approaching day 37. We're doing a lot of live social media this week. So we'll be all over the place on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook doing a lot of live and a lot of other content this week because we really want to stay in touch. We really want to share what's happening in all these other industries because together we're going to reset America in these next few weeks. You wait and you see. We're going to do it. I'll talk to you then. Subscribe to the John Tapper Podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday. And don't forget, this podcast is now on YouTube. So like, subscribe, tell your friends. Why just listen? Why not watch me?